God has sent Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. Now, it seems that Samuel might be just a little bit gun shy. Even though, if you go back and read the story of how he anointed Saul, he clearly was led of the Lord. You remember the story with the donkey getting lost and Saul has a partner and his partner says, you know, there's a, there's a seer over in this town and he goes and, and as soon as they meet Samuel, Samuel says, oh, don't worry about the donkeys, they've already been found. And every step of the way, God is so much in it. You remember that story. So, yes, I can understand why Samuel might be feeling a little bit gun-shy in the business of calling kings, anointing kings, because this is just a few years after that, and Samuel feels like a failure. Can I remind you here what's going on? God had led Samuel in the anointing of Saul, right? Does anybody disagree with that? I can't see how you possibly could. And yet, Saul's reign is a failure. So Samuel followed the Lord every step of the way and still ended up at what seemed to be failure. Isn't that encouraging? Sometimes the will of God leads you to what appears to be failure. Now we can hash that over and talk about why that is some other time, but it's encouraging to know that God does not always lead his children in these mountaintop successes. Sometimes you follow the Lord sincerely, carefully, every step of the way, and you still wind up at the scrap heap. You go, man, what happened? I know I was following the Lord. God said we needed to come here before we go somewhere else. So Samuel seems a little bit gun-shy, even though he had followed the Lord's leadership in the anointing of King Saul. He comes to the place where he meets Jesse's family, and here comes Eliab. Now, isn't it interesting that immediately... Samuel seems to be relying on his own wisdom, his own intuition. But by the way, that's all he had. I do like the fact, and I think it's absolutely right, who cares if I like it, that when Samuel sees Eliab and says, man, this is a good-looking kid, and he's tall, and he's sharp, he immediately talks to God about it. And that's what keeps him on track. Hey, did you get that? And this isn't about finding the will of God, this message tonight, but there's some good lessons in here. Samuel relied on his own wisdom, and then he took it to God. Do you ever have an important decision and you feel like, I think I'm following the Lord, but all I have to go on is what I know. Okay, then go on that. But keep on giving it to God. So Samuel uses his own wisdom to say, wow, I can, boy, you know what? I can see this guy sitting on the throne. I can see the people following him. I can see this guy being, this is a sharp guy right here. And then he goes, uh, isn't he Lord? And in response, the Lord makes that famous statement. Look not, verse 7, 
on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now I have a very simple thought for you tonight from this very famous verse, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And that is this. I am always amazed to hear people take refuge in that verse. I'm always amazed to hear people say, well, the Lord, you know, the Lord doesn't see as man sees. You're looking at the outside, but God looks at my heart as if that protects them. You know, like, sure, I may dress like a, tramp, a tramp, but God sees my heart. Sure, I may, like, may look like a dope-smoking hippie on the outside, but God sees my heart. I just don't see the reason there to take refuge and hide behind that verse. The sincere Christian ought to find it sobering that God looks on the heart. Let me say that again. The sincere Christian ought to find it extremely sobering that God looks on the heart. Why? Well, let me give you a few scriptural examples. Psalm 19 verse 12 says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, if you have secret faults, if I have secret faults, who's the only one who can see them? God does. Psalm 66 verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, again, Regard iniquity. Regard means respect. That's, that's the basis. That verse right there is one of the main verses that is a basis for the phrase pet sin. David is saying, if I have a pet sin, how many of us, how many times have we done this? That we confess some sin to God and yet some part of our heart still says, but I still enjoy it. I still like it. And when I get the chance, frankly, I'm going to do it again. What is that? That is regarding iniquity in your heart. Who can see that in your heart? I can't. Other believers can't. Your spouse can't even see that. But God can. So, it is sobering to me, that God looks on the heart because God sees which sins I have special affection for. I can fool everybody else, but he can look at my heart and see, Joe, you've got some favorite sins. There's some things that you like that you're not supposed to like. So how in the world... Can I take 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, and say, yeah, 
I may look like a complete loser on the outside, but God sees my heart. That's not good news. That's bad news. No, wait, I'm not trying to scare or intimidate any of us tonight. I feel like this. I'm in love with the Lord. I seek the Lord. I love him. But I always want to approach life and especially my relationship with God. This is a Bible phrase with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean Frady's scared like I think the building's going to fall down on me. But there's always a certain carefulness. If I pick up a shotgun, all right, I don't have any fear that I'm going to accidentally, you know, shoot off my arm or anything like that. However, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't hold the, the shotgun like this and go, oh, no, it's not like that at all. But I do realize what that shotgun can do. Therefore, whether I think it's loaded or I think it's empty, I never point it anywhere but the ground and the target that I'm shooting at. Those of you that have any experience, I'm not super experienced with guns, but, but have any experience with guns, guns know you don't just, you know, you, you, got your, uh, uh, you got a rifle in your hand. You don't just go, yeah, and swing it like that in front of a crowd of people. Why? You don't ever point a gun at anything that you wouldn't potentially want to shoot it at. What is that? Is that because I'm so, I'm so afraid I'm going to hurt? No. I approach the handling of a gun with fear and trembling. I don't have a frady, scared relationship with God, but I do approach my relationship with God with fear and trembling. He's my father. I'm his child. He is watching out for me. He is going to take care of me. But it ought to concern me that he can look at my heart and see what my pet sins are. It ought to concern me that he can look at my heart and know my secret faults and know what I regard in my heart. So the sincere Christian ought to find it sobering that God looks on the heart. Why? Because God sees which sins I have special affection for. Let me give you another reason. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the second part of that verse makes me not want to be guilty of violating the first part of that verse. I heard of a pastor just the other day who was defending some form of worldliness. Now, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. There's, there's things that I allow myself to do that, that other people think are wrong that I don't think are, are a very big deal. Now, nothing outrageous, but, I mean, probably the one that you would be, <laughs> that you would know most uh, openly is, you know, I, I will listen to some, to some old, I don't listen to any new music, really at all uh if i do it's it's new um maybe a new christian song comes along once in a while that blesses my heart very rarely but uh everything else i listen to is 50 years old and uh 
I had a little bit of a panic the other day because I had to replace my laptop. And when I reinstalled iTunes, it's not bringing all those songs back, songs that you cannot get anywhere else. I mean, I took them off of a cassette tape. The cassette tape self-destructed. I converted it to digital, and nobody on the planet owns this in digital format but me. And uh, I'm, I'm... I hope they're all there. iTunes is not bringing them back. I had them stored in iTunes. So anyway, that's not your problem, is it? But however, uh, oh man, there's, uh, I don't know where you'd get this song. But uh, this, this, and I'm going somewhere with this. Don't, don't panic. Um, but uh, there's a song from, I think it was recorded in the 70s called the Pickup Truck Song. Uh, I raised my kids on that song. Catherine could stand up and sing it for you word for word right now, the pickup truck song. And uh, talks about when I was a kid and uh, uh, my grandpa used to, you know, we used to ride around town to pick up, take a run to the county dump. We'd always wait when we see someone. Uh, that's the kind of song that I'm talking about that, man, I've got pastor friends who'd say, that's wicked. Why? Because it's not about the Bible, you know. Uh, so, I don't advertise that, but all of you know that, uh, yeah, Pastor listens to a couple of old goofy songs like that. My friend Danny says cheesy songs, if he, okay, cheesy songs, but he likes them. He said, hey, Joe, you got any more of them cheesy songs? Yeah, I, I do so. But anyway, but this, oh, that's where I was, where did I get off the highway there? Okay, I'm I'm back. This guy that I'm talking about that I heard about had a, a sin that it's not, I wouldn't even call it a sin. I would just call it a matter of worldliness. And he went online. I didn't read it, but, but I heard about it. He went online and just, he just went defending this matter of worldliness that a whole lot of Christians would say, no, that's out of bounds. We don't do that. And here, all that say this, here's what he said. He said, I have to be honest. I love the world. What? And I'm wondering, he was a pastor. I love the world. And this verse says, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I don't think that's, a, that's an all or nothing there. I think that what John is telling us, what God is telling us through John, is to the extent that I love the world, to that extent, I do not love God. And by the way, he goes on to define what the world is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the world system. He's not talking about you can't love the scenery. This is We're coming up on my favorite time of year where everything instantly turns green. At some point, everything's going to instantly turn green. That's my, it's my favorite. You can keep your fall colors. You can keep your summer heat. I love it when we go from brown and gray to bang green. I just love it. That's not what it's talking about when it says love not the world. It's talking about you're driving past the tavern and you can hear the live music on the inside and something in your heart goes, boy, I sure would like to be in there. Now, you may have that in your heart from the old days, but don't entertain it. Don't feed it and certainly don't tell other believers about it because now you're getting into the territory where you're going to be a stumbling block to somebody else because while you're saying, boy, I 
sure would love to go in there and just hear one set by that, you know, that uh, Eagles uh, wannabe band. But you may say that, but somebody, some weaker Christian hears you say that and they go, yeah, I think I'll go Friday night. Well, you just hurt them big time. So, man, even if you find that in your heart, don't express it and don't entertain it. That needs to die. Because if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here's the thing. I find it sobering that God knows my heart because God knows to what extent I do love the world. I stand up and I preach, oh, love God, I love the Lord. Behold what manner of love. And oh, we cried, it's called praise the Lord, love the Lord. And all the while God says, yeah, Joe, but I can see your heart. And I know that there is a proportion, there is a part of your heart that's still very much in love with this world. And the part of your heart that is in love with this world is not in love with me. So I'm not going to run down there and hide behind, well, you can look at the outward appearance, but God looks at my heart. No, I'm going to say, whoa, God looks at my heart. By the way, that's going to keep me from being overly judgmental on you. Because remember from Romans chapter 2, which we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, that all human judgment has an element of hypocrisy in it. God's judgment does not have an ounce of hypocrisy in it. But Paul said to the Romans in Romans 2, Thou which judgest doest the same things. Maybe not the exact same sins, but you're breaking the law even while you're condemning somebody else. We are all in positions in life, especially as we get older and the longer we've been adults, where it is our job to be discretionary. It is our job to judge and say, I don't think he's the real deal. And uh, I'm not sure if her heart's really in it. And uh, I, I think he's put, we are in positions where we have to do that. But we want to do it with fear and trembling. Because with every judgment we pass, though our judgment, though our passing of judgment may be legitimate, to some extent we condemn ourselves because we break the law ourselves. And God sees my heart. He knows all this. Now I got a couple more and we're 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 making good time, but let me just encourage you as you listen. Don't put the person next to you through the ringer tonight. Put yourself. Don't put don't uh, put the person next to you on the witness stand. Don't put them on trial. Do yourself a favor and put yourself on trial tonight. God sees your heart. He sees the sins that you have a special affection for. He sees your level of love for this world. There's another reason I find it sobering that God looks on the heart. Colossians two seven says. Rooted up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now there's a dozen, there's dozens of verses we could have talked about about gratitude and thanksgiving. But this one has to do with the thanksgiving, I believe, in your heart. 
And so number three, God knows my true level of gratitude to him. Now, I've preached many times that even if you don't feel thankful, give thanks anyway. And I believe that. And there are times, you're uh, excused, Brother Steve. Uh, there are times when I believe it's my responsibility and your responsibility to give thanks even when you don't feel thankful. But it's sobering to me that God knows the condition of my heart, that God may know. Man, pastor stood up today. He sang the hymns with everybody else. He led in a couple of songs. He led in testimony time probably half a dozen times during the service. He said, praise the Lord. And God could see in his heart that he was complaining about some things. He was grumbling about some things. Now, let's be frank. We shouldn't wait to give thanks to God until all the murmuring is out of our hearts, right? Otherwise, none of us would give praise, right? Nevertheless, in my own connection to God, if there's some complaining there, if there's some murmuring there, I don't, I don't want God to see it, but he does see it. The Lord looketh on the heart, and that's sobering to me. That means that I don't want to go running out there and say, yeah, you go ahead and judge me on the outside. God sees my heart. That is not what's going on there in verse number 7 of 1 Samuel 16. I'll give you another reason why this is sobering. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. There's a verse, I forgot about this, but uh, in Psalm 119, I know, my soul breaketh for the longing that it hath after thy word. No, that's not, it's close to that. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath uh, for thy word at all times. That's pretty close. But number four, God knows how much of my heart is filled with his word. So, you know, I can quote verses and I can tell you to memorize scripture and I can stand up and preach and you can walk out of here and say, wow, pastor really knows the book, doesn't he? But God can look at my heart and says, yeah, about the only time he quotes it is when he's preaching. Now, I hope that's not true. But what good does it do to me to, for me to deny it? God knows whether it's true or not. My wife doesn't know. My kids don't know. You don't know what's going on in my heart. And I don't know what's going on in your heart. But God knows how much I truly do long after his word. There's a whole lot of Christians who are just way too content to let our Christianity be at the level that we can convince other people that it's good. I didn't say that very well. We're, we're content not to be the best we can be, but just to be able to convince other people that we're the best we can be. And all the while, 
God's not looking on the outward appearance. He's not looking at the show that I put on. He's not looking at the big parade, the big, the big Joe parade. He's looking at my heart. That's sobering. Another reason it's sobering. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Number five, God knows how much I really trust him. Oh, I can talk about how much I trust the Lord. I can give a testimony about, oh, oh, my faith is in him. But God knows how much I really trust him. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. God knows my heart towards other believers. I can, I can stand up and defend it. I can tell you, hey, well, hey, I got nothing but good thoughts towards you. But God knows whether that's true or not. And it's not worth my time to waste a single breath trying to defend if my attitude is right towards others. But God sees my heart. And you know, you will not go through the work of the Lord without having conflicts with people. Forget about who's right and who's wrong. You will not go through the work of the Lord without having conflicts with other people. I'm talking about other Christians. I'm talking about other good Christians. And when I have found myself in conflict with other people, I don't spend my time trying to convince them that my heart is right towards. I may tell them once or twice, but I don't, I, what, what good's it? But I have spent hours before God saying, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why everything I say, they take it and make it some sort of a criticism, some sort of an accusation. They turn it right against me. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But Lord, I want my heart to be 100% crystal clear right with this guy or this, this, this lady, this person. It doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen a lot. But I have to tell you, it happens consistently. It's as if Satan makes sure there's always somebody there to cause a struggle. And when that happens, I'm not... I'm not concerned with impressing you that, that, that I'm in good standing with you. I'm concerned with God being persuaded, God knowing my heart, that my heart is right with this person or that person. God knows my attitude towards other believers. This is the last one. Deuteronomy 6.5, and this is probably the one that breaks my heart the most. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. God looks on the heart. I can talk about how much I love him. I can sing about how much I love him. But God's the only one who knows how much I truly love him. Now, I want to strive for my love to God to be crystal clear. But God looks on the heart. And so I can stand and preach a message about how much God loves me, how much I love him. And people will go, oh, oh Brother Master, that was such a blessing. And it is possible that I could walk away from that message and God says, 
Joe, you know your heart is not right with me. Now, I hope that that has not happened. But I'm saying it's possible. And God knows. Therefore, it's no comfort to me that God sees my heart. It's a challenge. It's a, you better stay. You better look, keep your heart with all diligence, Joe, because God sees your heart. But it's not a defense. Hey, it's not a justification of my outward appearance. Hey, I'll dress any old way I want to dress because God sees my heart. You couldn't twist that verse any worse if you tried. And I think maybe sometimes folks are trying. Let me show you something before we go. This is the end, and we've got four minutes till seven, and I'm never done by seven. But let me show you something. 1 Samuel 16. You're in 1 Samuel 16, right? David gets anointed in 1 Samuel 16, right? In 1 Samuel 16, he hasn't killed the giant yet, right? In 1 Samuel 16, he's still a shepherd boy working for his dad, right? So let's go down to the end of the chapter, and let's look down at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Why? Because Samuel had just anointed David king. So the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Are you ready? You're about to see what man who was looking on the outward appearance saw in David. Verse number 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. This is David. That is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. So your, and by the way, I find it very interesting that David was just a shepherd and yet Saul's servants had been scouting him. I'm not sure how that works, but I think that's pretty amazing. David Working for his father got the attention of the king's servants. But this thing of, well, man looks out on the outward appearance. Yeah, but look at what they saw in this guy when they looked on the outward appearance. Don't tell me that God looketh on the heart is an excuse for us to be negligent. Don't tell me that God looketh on the heart is an excuse for us to be grungy on the outside, dirty on the outside, loose on the outside, because after all, God looks at my heart. No, you you know the math on this if you're sincere. If your heart is right, it'll show on the outside. 
And because David's heart was right, this is what the world saw. Man, he's an excellent musician. He's strong and courageous. He's a fighter. He's a good decision maker. He's appropriate and well-behaved. And the Lord is with him. I'm going to ask you tonight to take that the Lord looketh on the heart and let it lead you to love the Lord and serve the Lord and live for the Lord with that little bit of fear and trembling that says, I cannot afford to be negligent. I cannot afford to entertain secret sins. I cannot afford to put on a show on the outside and be a phony on the inside because the Lord looketh on the heart. Father, I pray tonight.